time for Wednesday's hour number two on Hashtag Daily K with your host, Peter Bint. Korean dramas, movies, and even lyrics. Why is the world paying attention to Korean stories? From classics to modern masterpieces, time to dig deep into the charms of Korean literature on Check It Out with Paul. Sir Loin has refused to leave the studio. Uh, he has uh, he has protested. He said he's not going. He feels it's not right that there's an empty chair next to me. And so uh, he also says he's not talking to me. So he's going to be here for the second hour, but um, he's not going to contribute everything. Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing, Sir Loin. Hey, it's me. It's Paul with Paul and sirloin because every wednesday it is check it out check meaning book in korean when we check out various pieces of korean literature poetry and non-fiction and uh, well we got great books in normally at this point i ask myself about the hashtag but i've already talked about the hashtag should i talk some more about the hashtag hashtag ot hashtag clothes to be honest i'm an actor so i often get paid to wear lots of silly clothing um, and so when I'm in my normal life, I don't really care about clothes because I get to wear the extraordinary or the unusual um, during the day job. So I guess clothes aren't that important to me. But I understand that they're important to other people. And, you know, appearance looking good can make you feel good, as our you know Korean expression today uh, said. So, uh, well, that's my thoughts on the hashtag. So I prefer to move on to the book because I love books. And today I've got a really really good book. So uh, I want to end the year because this is the last show for me for 2023. Of course, I'm back in 2024 uh, with a short story collection called Miss Kim Knows and Other Stories. Uh, it's written by Chonamju. It's translated by Jamie Chang. Its Korean name is Uriga Sungot, which is like a what we have written. Um, and it's eight short stories. And each short story features a different woman. And these women are of different ages. So we're talking from age 10 through to age 80. It's charting the lives of women and the lives of Korean women through very personal stories. Um, I'm not going to feature all the stories today. We might come back to this book another time. I thought we'd start with the very first story because it's suitably wintry. It's called Under the Plum Tree. And it's about this 80-year-old woman who's coming to terms with mortality, but also coming to terms with the looming death of her older sister. Um, so it's it's a little bit dark in places, but also it's a little bit hopeful in places. I hope you'll like it, but it does feel appropriate as we come to the end of 2023. Um, and I'm so glad that we have another translation uh, of Chonamju. Uh, we featured her for, for the first time back in 2020 with a novella. And then we featured her brilliant uh, Kim Ji-young, born 1982, and the excellent Saha, both translated by Jamie Chang. Um, and she is an excellent writer, really brilliant. Uh, what's interesting about her is she, she studied sociology at university and she worked on a TV current affairs program as a skip scriptwriter. So her early career was involved with social issues and the margins of society. And then for the last decade or so, she's been writing novels and short stories dealing with similar issues. So she focuses on the disadvantaged. She focuses on the margins of society. She focuses on women. 
And this collection is all about the experiences of women in Korea, every age, but also all the different hardships and obstacles and issues they face in their lives. Um, and for me, I liked Saha, but I'll be honest, I, I loved Kim Ji-young, born 1982. I think it's a brilliant book. If you haven't read it, it's worth getting your hands on the translation because she takes one ordinary Korean woman's life um, and sort of makes it as the, the center point for a look at Korean society and Korean's attitude towards women and the difficulties that an ordinary woman goes through. And this book feels connected to that in that it's not just one character. We've got eight different characters, all with their own issues. Uh, I love Cho Namju. I hope you'll love this story. And I love Jamie Chang, the translator. Uh, we featured her a lot on this program, uh, either with her translations of modern novels or with her translations of classic short stories. Um, and she's been translating for a decade. Uh, she is the one who translated Kim Ji Young, born 1982, and Saha. Uh, if her name is on the book, it's always worth checking out. Uh, Leon is asking, Does, do all the women in the eight stories have the surname Kim? Though I wonder. No, 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 no. No, Miss Kim knows uh, is one story, but but don't worry. They all have different names. They're, they're not related. They're all different people. Um, so we'll get to our first reading. So this story is called Under the Plum Tree. It's about this 80-year-old woman. Um, and we'll start at the very beginning with a first aid kit. Here we go. I took out the first aid kit from the kitchen cabinet. Packets of blood pressure medication, which would last me a little less than three months. Four lots of eye drops. Skin salve prescribed for the itch I'd been having lately. Burn salve for when I'd burn myself back in the spring. Antacids and pain medication. Band-aids. Rubbing alcohol in a Japanese heat patch. I keep forgetting to throw out the old eye drops and burn salve. Some time ago, my daughter-in-law looked through the kit for ointment. I'm sure she saw the expired medicines, but she pretended not to notice. Twice a day for the drops with the yellow cap, and four times a day for the drops with the sky-blue cap. I put a drop from the sky-blue cap bottle in each of my eyes. My eyes stung and I could not open them. Jung optometry by the tube station was not very good at diagnosing or nice to the patients, but I kept returning because of the pharmacist on the first floor. I remember the surprise and excitement I felt when the pharmacy first opened. The pharmacist was an old lady with undyed grey hair, pulled into a loose ponytail. The pharmacist produced eye drops from a small box and wrote two per day and four per day on them with permanent markers, and shook the one with the sky blue cap. This stings a little, but it works. I use it sometimes at the change of the seasons, but you can't use it continuously for too long, so come back if you're still itching after a week. Then she put the bottles in a paper bag with the medication list and active ingredients printed on them and folded one corner of the top down. It wasn't to seal the bag or to use as a handle, but she always folded it that way before passing the bag to me. I liked the dog ear the pharmacist made. The end. All your meds are in there. All has been explained. A simple gesture that says, 
I can go now. And the fold was cute. When I blinked a few times, fat tears rolled down my face. I had wasted good eye drops. I dabbed at the corners of my eyes with my sleeves and thought it felt like real tears. It wasn't sadness that made the tears flow, but tears that made me sad. Withered branches trembled outside the kitchen window. Uh, before we get to the story, we got some messages uh, coming in. Let's have a look. Baha saying it sounds super interesting. And uh, uh, we also got Ray asking, I wanted to ask how many books Paul reads in a month or a year. Um, last year it was over 200. It was 200 and something. Uh, this year it's only about 150 because I've spent a very long time this autumn playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the Legend of Zelda game. So I've been I've been lax on my reading. Uh, Besby also saying, wow, Paul going solo. Uh, yes, but I'm happy to be here with you. And Sherry, my ears perk up a hopeful book, Paul. Yeah, sure. There's always a little bit of hope, isn't there? Isn't isn't there? Um, I hope so. Uh, it's a very good story. Nyan also saying, why does this story sound so familiar? I don't know. Um, well, it's it's a relatively new translation. Uh, you may already have read it. I'm, I'm not sure. I love this story and I hope you're going to love it too. So let's talk about this story. You're probably wondering, uh, is, is this character sick? Is she dying? Why is she taking all this medicine? But she's not doing too badly, actually. Um, though both her husband and her son have already passed on. So she's living a bit of a lonely life. Her name is Dongju. Um, and she's the main focus of this story. She's less worried about herself, though she has her own troubles. She's more worried about her eldest sister, Gumju, who's in a care home and who has Alzheimer's. And uh, we sort of witness her going to visit her. She's bringing along canned peaches because her sister wanted canned peaches. Uh, well, wanted fresh peaches, but there aren't any in winter. And so she's brought them along. She's also brought mouthwash because her sister's breath stinks quite frankly. She's very honest with us as she narrates this story. And uh, when she passes by the plum tree outside the care home, it triggers memories of a brother-in-law who had potted plants and liked to think he was controlling nature. And then she goes inside and we get to meet her older sister, who's withered, much like the withered branches in that first um, excerpt. Uh, the caretaker tells Dongju, look, your sister has aged gracefully because everything she does, like when she gets a dab of face cream, she's so graceful in the way she puts it on her face, the way that she behaves, the way that she responds. You know, she may have Alzheimer's, but she's still still a lovely human being. Um, and, well, we learn about Gumju and how Gumju was sort of the head of the family. The parents were, were poor and were busy working. And so Gumju had to look after her siblings. And then when she got married, her husband was useless and she had to raise five kids pretty much by herself. And she was the strong one for her whole, whole life. She was the strong one of the family. But now she spends all day just sitting in a chair. She usually has a book with her. She stares at the pages, but no one's quite sure if he's actually reading and sometimes she stares at the same page for days on end. So Dongju's feeling pretty upset about her sister. And she sits and chats with her. And it's the nice thing is, even though she's got Alzheimer's, Gumju still remembers her. And she calls her by the name that she wants, which is Dongju. That's a name she only recently 
legally changed. It's not her original name. Her original name before was Malio. And Malio means、uh, last girl, the, the Majimak、uh, girl, the last girl.、Um, because she had two older sisters and her parents wanted boys. So it was a way of sort of blessing the next child, that the next child would be a boy and not a girl. But her older sister was Gumju, so with gold, and Unju was the next sister with silver. And she wanted to be Dongju, bronze. But Her parents wanted sons, and so she got stuck with a name she didn't like. But Gumju, ever since they were kids, would secretly call her Dongju.、Um, but she never changed it until after her husband died. And then finally, she managed to do it, and she's proud of having the name that she likes, and she's so happy that Gumju remembers her with her proper name.、Um, the sad moment is, is that Gumju is also asking about the other sister, Unju, but Unju passed away. Several years ago from lung cancer, and Gumju doesn't remember.、Um, and Dongju thinks back to the last day she spent with her second sister,、um, shelling corn, eating corn together. And we learn that that was the moment for Dongju that she realized, ah, my sister has died, and so I'm going to die too. And.、Uh, We're filled with melancholy. This first part of the book, we're sort of sitting with the sadness of the acceptance and the pre grief as we know that Gumju will pass away soon. And Dongju takes her outside to sit by the plum tree, and they're met by Gumju's grandson, Sunghun.、Um, he's all grown up, and he's actually the only one in the family who visits her regularly. He's the one who comes to see her the most. And we learn of their special relationship, how. She, Gumju, was so protective of Sunghun when he was just a little kid. And this is where the second reading comes in. Sunghun had grown up in the back of Gumju's restaurant. Wonsuk left him with her and went to work. Sungun was a good kid who could sleep with all the noise in the dining hall, who drew pictures and folded paper at an empty table. He gave short answers when the customers talked to him, and when they gave him sweets or crisps, he said thank you and passed them to his grandmother. He was well behaved and quiet, which was nice for Gumju, but I hear he was beaten up and teased a lot outside. Was he in fifth grade? There was a time when some middle school kids bullied him. It was a year before Gumju found out. When she saw the bruised shins sticking out from under the covers, he told her that the older boys took his money, made him do their chores, beat him, burned him with cigarettes, and threatened to give him hell if he reported them or told on them to the adults. Gumju went straight to their lair. It was a small, two-story shop building, emptied for renovation. The building was easy to access through the security post by the car park, as Sungun had told her. And the grocery bag slung on her shoulder was a boning knife with a 30-centimeter blade, sharper than a kitchen knife with a slightly curled tip. I went to the butcher shop and bought a nice, thick slab of pork ribs, and I skewered it on the blade so that the tip was sticking out. Three boys who looked familiar were sitting by a window in the empty building, cackling away with their heads together. When she opened the door, the children froze at the sudden appearance of an adult. Gumju held up the blade with the skewered pork ribs and said, 
I take apart a cow every day. I cut its stomach open, take out the guts, pull out the bone, skin it, boil the bone and meat in a huge cauldron for broth, and toss the guts and fats in a plastic bag big enough to fit a person. And the bags are taken straight to the food disposal plant and liquefied. You crazy? That's intimidation. What if the kid's parents reported you to the police? That wasn't my biggest problem. They were. They were all taller than me and bigger than me. If the three of them attacked at the same time, I would have lost the knife. They attacked you? No. They stayed put and listened. So I told them to mark my words and stop picking on Sungen and walked out all composed. My legs were shaking all the way back to the restaurant. I locked the door and hid inside. I was so scared they would come after me. Did they come looking? No, they didn't. And they stopped picking on Sungen. I could finally breathe again. By the way, do you really take a cow apart every day? Why would I do that? I get mine portioned from the butcher shop. So why does a person who supposedly take cows apart show up with pork ribs? How should these kids know if it's beef or pork? I just bought whatever was cheap and believable. And what did you do with the pork? I made a stew with ripe kimchi. Sungun loved it. I love this excerpt. We get the sense that Gumju is, ah, oh, she's a fighter and she's been a fighter her whole life and she will not take nonsense from anybody. And I guess this is why Sungun loves her so much. There's this really strong connection because um, he's the one who comes twice a week, the only person in the family who comes so often, not even Dongju does that. And if she's sick, if she's got a bit of a mess, he helps clean up. He helps change the bed sheets. Um, and in fact, while he's there, she does throw up and he helps out as if he's a fellow carer with the other staff members. And he says to Dongju, you know, please visit more often. And she says to him, oh, look, you're lovely. You're doing what even her own kids won't do. You know, why would you do that? And he says, I like to hang out with her. You know, she's my grandma and she's a great person. But uh, things don't go so well. Gumju takes a turn for the worse in the next few days and she has to be put on a ventilator. The rest of the family are gathering round and her children, uh, Sungun's mother is, uh, you know, she's saying, look, we just want her off the ventilator, pass away quickly and peacefully, that'll be done. And Sungun is the only one who's against it. And when he talks to Dongju, he tells her he just, he doesn't want her to die for there to be a world without his grandma. And they talk and they discuss. And he admits that he knows the family is right about this. And they drive along to the care home to pick up some things. And then when he goes inside, Dongju's left in the car. And she takes a moment in this winter landscape to look at the plum tree outside the care home. And this is where we get our final reading. Complete darkness had descended outside. A warm, gentle amber light bathed the wall of the building and all around the plum tree. I slowly walked towards the tree and stood under it. I had never looked at it so up close. The smell of dust, dirt, of a tree that has survived a long time. I reached out and felt the bark. It was rough, but not prickly. 
Perhaps my hand had turned numb. After feeling the tree for some time, I was at last able to see the thick trunk glistening in the light, the branches growing out of it, the green twigs growing out of the branches and the whole tree. At night, the senses awakened in the order of scent, touch, and sight. Feeling along a low-hanging branch, I touched something with the tip of my finger. A bug? My heart recoiled, but my hand froze in place. I felt around in a circular motion with my fingertip. Small, cold, smooth. Not so much a bug as a chrysalis. I craned my neck and squinted to see. Winter bud. Deep red violet on the green twig. A winter bud. I took a step back and looked up. The twigs were full of winter buds. Some were wrapped tight in red violet. Others had hints of green peeking out already. The buds will become flowers in the spring. The white blooms will cover the old tree and the dry, cracked bark will be hidden from view by the soft petals. I pictured the exhilarating sight of flowers in full bloom and could almost smell plum flowers at the tip of my nose. The petals will flutter when the wind blows, and when they can't fight back anymore, they'll fall all at once and fly like thick snowflakes. Just then, a snowflake alighted on the end of a branch. It looked like a flower petal. I looked up and saw snowflakes descending slowly from above. The snow looked like flowers, like petals. Gumju always used to say, come back before the flowers fall. She said that when the flowers were in bloom, and after the flowers had gone. I see now, Gumju. I say it now too. The flowers are snow, and the snow is flowers. Winter is spring, and spring is winter, my sister. And there we have it. The end of this first short story in the collection Miss Kim Knows. Oh, I, I love this ending. It's an open ending. We don't know what happens exactly with Dongju, but it feels like a moment of acceptance. Acceptance of her own sister's impending passing, acceptance of her own mortality, but also acceptance that life is this cycle round and round with flowers blooming on old bark and snow flowers blooming in the sky. It's beautiful, it's poignant, it feels hopeful, and it also feels very appropriate as we come to the dying days of 2023. That, you know, in the midst of winter, we can still find beauty and hope and, uh, I don't know, a feeling for the future. Um, so, yes, uh, this is a brilliant start to the collection and it feels really relevant um, to Korea in 2023, coming into 2024. Um, we have an ageing society. Uh, Korea has been talking about us becoming a super ageing society. And we've also seen this year record low birth levels. We have the lowest birth rate we've ever had in the country. Um, it's a serious issue because it means that 
getting older is going to become more and more commonplace. There's going to be more of us old people. When I turn 65 in 20 years' time, there's going to be a lot more people like me going into their 60s and 70s and 80s. And that means these kind of issues are going to become more and more prominent. And we're all going to have to cope with getting older. And that shouldn't be necessarily a scary thing. It shouldn't be a bad thing, but it can be troublesome. It can be problematic. And I think this story gives hope as we all get older as to how we can learn to breathe into it and accept it and, um, I don't know, live the best life we have. Uh, got some messages here. Baha saying some bitter truth hidden in the story, uh, but also uh, wondering why the oldest uh, story came first. And uh, also Baha saying um, it was like everything she did had sadness woven to it. Yeah, there is this this sense of wistfulness, of nostalgia, of sadness throughout the story. Uh, thanks for your messages. Um, we've also got Jennifer saying a unique perspective showing how the little things matter, especially as we age. So very true. Um, I think as we get older, we're able to focus more on those little details that just zoom past us when we're young and we're too busy having fun. <laughs> Jennifer also saying, thinking of Gumju and the way that she treated those little bullies. She says, she sounds like my grandma. Anyone who was rude to any of us kids, uh, she would have no issues telling them off for misbehaving. Sherry agreeing with clever grandma. Um, and uh, Tiggerish talking about no one wanting to live without their loved ones. Takes a certain level of maturity to be able to let go, to let go of their physical presence if the choice arises, to let them pass peacefully and quickly, or raise the question of whether we should trap them uh, in their minds like that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great sentiment. Um, and uh, it's good to get philosophical. Daniel's saying, you're getting a bit philosophical there, Eeyore. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. You know, at the end of the year, we need to get philosophical. We need to think about these kind of things. And this book, uh, this collection is something that's going to make you think. The whole collection is fantastic. Um, you know, it's, it's great that she opens with the grandmothers because... Grandmas aren't necessarily the first people we think of when we think of K-dramas or K-movies or K-literature, but they're all around us. They're a part of Seoul and Korea's fabric. Um, and the collection is not just about grandmas. Each story has a different issue that women are facing in Korea. So there's secret filming, there's gaslighting, there's workplace discrimination and much, much more. Um, if you loved Kim Ji-young, born 1982, this is a must-read. Um, you will love it. I guarantee it. Uh, if you weren't a fan, maybe this is not for you. But I think if you want, uh, if you want to understand Korean society from a woman's perspective, um, Chon Namju is a great author for that. So that's my recommendation. Um, and I hope that uh, well, you well you read the book and you enjoy the book and that you have fun. Um, I do have another book next week. I haven't put it on the script for some reason. I don't know what I was doing, Paul. Come on, you got it. Okay. Here it is. Next week's book is going to be, uh, uh, it's a modern short story. It's called The Future of Silence by Kim Edan. It's translated by Bruce and Ju-Chan Fulton. Get ahead of it. Read it if you can. My one-line review for this book is, you need to read this book. Simple as that. I think Cho Namju is incredible. I'd like to thank the Literature Translation Institute of Korea for the help with copyright permissions for this broadcast. Thanks to Cho Namju for an excellent novel and Jamie Chang for a brilliant translation. I will be back next week with another book. You can listen to Check It Out with Paul Matthews on Adidang Radio's Hashtag Daily K every Wednesday from 10am KST.